believe. And we, have, we are actually, next week is our halfway mark. How many of you have been with us for the 15 weeks so far? You're a liar because next week's our halfway mark. Come on, Kim. <laughs> okay, but it's been great. What we've been doing is we've been looking at what it means to believe the things that Jesus believed. And it comes in three parts. It comes in the first 10 weeks where we want to think the same things that Jesus thinks, which means if Jesus says something's truth, we want it to be truth for us too. And then we moved into the second part, which we're in right now, where we want to put in the disciplines in our lives that Jesus had. You know, Jesus didn't call us just to agree with Him. He called us to follow Him. And it's very possible to agree with Jesus, which means believe some of the same stuff, but not actually follow Him. And discipleship happens when we start to follow what Jesus calls us to do. And this week, we're, t- we're covering a little bit of a more peculiar topic called single-mindedness. Um, single-mindedness. This is one that I remember when I opened up the book, I went, this could mean a few different things. So here's what it means. Single-mindedness is the discipline of focusing on one thing. Focusing on one thing in your life versus focusing on many different things. Now, I don't know about you, but we live in a culture where um, single-mindedness is very difficult. No one really knows why, but it's getting harder and harder to focus on one thing. I can't really pinpoint it to anything in general, but I feel like there's something out there that just distracts us a lot. It was my phone, by the way. Um, we live in a distracted culture. We live, we are distracted people. And, and it's not surprising um, for me, to have access to most of the information on the planet Earth in my pocket keeps me busy. Um, all of us have different things that distract us. For me, I'm a little bit of a news junkie. How many of you guys, anybody out there news junkies with me? Um, last year was a little bit different because last year we had this thing introduced called fake news. So news changed a little bit. News has always been biased, but last year it was like, Okay, well, some of the stuff you're going to read is not real. But I'm a news junkie. I'm, I'm always, I always want to know. I always want to learn. And, and so like my phone, I have these apps with the news, and they, they send me notifications with breaking news, right? And they'll say, it'll say, breaking news. And so like when Carrie Fisher died in December, my, new, my phone exploded because every news decided that that was the most important news on the planet Earth. And some of the stuff that is breaking news, by the way, is not breaking news, like, this is not, you should not be interrupting me for this. If it's not up to Amber Alert status, you shouldn't be interrupting me. Um, but I'm a news junkie. Some of you might not be a news junkie. You might be like a social media junkie. How many social media junkies out there? Come on, be honest with me. With every hand that goes up, there are five that didn't put their hand up. How many of you, seriously, you check, you, look, you click your phone regularly to see if you got a Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, something, something. Somebody liked my such and such. Somebody commented. Some of us were really distracted by social media. What about the games? How many of you, you use your phone primarily for Clash of Clans? Mike Shalaritas, where are you? Okay. Some of you, it's a game thing where, like, like for me, um, there's this game, I don't even know what it's called. I refuse to memorize the name of it because then it means it's important to me. You connect dots of the same color and then they go away. It's like a child's game. It was created for three-year-olds, and it keeps me entertained all the time. So anytime I'm sitting down, I used to read, like I would read if I had to wait in line for something, and now I play this dots game that I refuse to memorize the name. And I'm like, what's wrong with me? How easily distracted are we? So we live in a culture with lots of stimulation, lots of ways to be distracted, and if you're not careful, 
You could miss what's in front of you. And there's another way we get distracted. And this one's not necessarily our fault, but it's, it mean, it's when somebody else goes out of their way to distract us. Uh, one way to look at that is a thing called misdirection. How many of you ever heard the word misdirection? It's a term that was kind of created by illusionists in the 19th century. The most famous misdirection was when, when Harry Houdini made an elephant disappear. You guys ever hear that story? Now you can go online and see like, a, like step by step how he did it. But in, it was in New York City in 1918. Harry Houdini made an elephant disappear in front of a huge crowd. And he did that because of misdirection. And misdirection is this thing where you intentionally distract somebody. You, you, you take their attention and you move it so you can do something else over here. If you've ever been pickpocketed, you've been a victim of misdirection. They catch your attention and they move it over here so they can do something else over here. And oftentimes, we become victims of misdirection. And, and if you're visiting an illusionist or if you're on a cruise and they have a magician, misdirection's fun. Yeah, it's fun. It's all, it's all games. But sometimes when someone misdirects or steals our attention away from something that's important, it's not fun. If you've ever been robbed in the middle of the night, you were you're distracted by your sleep, which is healthy, that's okay, no one's mad at you, and then somebody went in and they stole from you. You don't find out until later that I was robbed. See, distractions isn't just about looking at social media all the time or not being able to focus on your computer. Distractions often come at a cost. And today we're going to look at what it means to have a single-focused mind focusing on the right things, and not just, not just in theory, but how to make it a discipline in our lives. Because oftentimes the things that distract us are stealing away from us. Um, I, I want to open up to Hebrews chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to ask you to open to two passages today. The first one is Hebrews chapter 12. While you're turning there, while you're turning there, one of the reasons that this is a practice that we want to put into our life, single-minded, learning how to focus on the right things, is because the enemy, our enemy, knows how to pull away our attention. John 10.10, Jesus tells us that the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But he has come, that I have come, Jesus has come, so that we may have life and life to the full. But see, the devil's role is to steal from you. And oftentimes, he's not stealing the way we sometimes think. Sometimes he's stealing our time. Sometimes he steals away our relationships. Sometimes he steals away our family. Sometimes the, the devil's aim is to steal away our future. See, he has come to steal. And oftentimes, he does it in the smallest ways that we don't even notice. And if we don't learn how to focus on the right things, we're going to get distracted and pulled to the side by all the wrong things. So Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to read verses 1 through 3. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now listen to this. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. See, the author of Hebrews, he knew that we were going to get distracted. He knew that if we didn't have the right target in our life, 
we were going to be spreading our attention and our affection and our love and our trust all over the place. And he said, there's one easy fix, the right target. And the only target for a follower of Jesus is Jesus himself. And he said, fix your eyes on Jesus. Now, the next passage I want you to turn to, and we're going we're gonna to camp here for a little bit, is Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 24. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 24. First book in the New Testament. First book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. And we're actually going to be following all the way through verse 34, but we're going to start with verse 19. You'll notice in your notes it says that the enemy seeks to distract and interrupt us from focusing on Jesus. The enemy wants to stop us from focusing on Jesus. And what, what, what I've learned is there's three common distractions. There's three common distractions that stop us from focusing on Jesus. And that's what I want to talk to you. Now, there's more distractions, but there's three big ones. The first distraction is poor priorities. Poor priorities. Poor priorities. Now, here's what I mean. I'm not calling what you think is valuable poor. What I'm saying is oftentimes... We have invested into priorities in our lives that are never going to pay out. And in this passage, Jesus gives us a little glimpse into what that looks like. So please read with me, starting in verse 19. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's stop right there. See, Jesus says that there are certain things in life that have real, actual value. And there are certain things that have the appearance of value that are going to try and steal away your attention. The things that Jesus says that don't have real value are things that can be stolen from you. If it can be stolen from you, he says that it might not be as worth as much as you think. If it can be destroyed or eaten... By rats, it might not be as value, valuable as you think. If it can rust and decay, it might not be as valuable as you think. Your notes, the blank is when we fix our eyes on Jesus, we recognize the vital and the eternal rather than the trivial and the temporary. We recognize the vital and the eternal rather than the trivial or the temporary. Here's the truth, friends. Your heart is limited in what it can love. Did you know that? Did you know there's limitations? I don't care what Taylor Swift says. There are limitations to what you can love. There is a boundary, which means we get to invest our life and our love into certain things. And if we spread what we, our priorities too, too broad, too thin, you're not going to end up pouring much into any one of them. And, we, and, and from the very beginning, Jesus had been telling his disciples that you are going to be tempted to pour your life into things that the rest of the world says is valuable, but I'm telling you that one day it's going away. And I'm letting you know right now that you have the chance to pour your life into things that are going to last forever. Now, a little caveat, there's only one thing in this room that's going to last forever, the chairs. They, we got them from another church. They'll probably last forever. no. There's only one thing that's going to last forever. You want to know what it is? Souls. Jesus tells his disciples that when we 
in, in the long scope of things, after this life, only one thing is going to last, souls. So you and I, there's an element of eternity in this room, but a lot of the things that we place as priorities in our lives are not going to be there with us. In fact, Jesus continues this passage and He says, no one can serve two masters, either you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and manna or money. He knows that possession and becoming great on this side is going to become a big priority in our lives. And we're going to try and share that priority with God. We say, God, I'm going to be great, whether that's success or influence or money or possessions. I'm going to be great. Why don't you join me and be great with me? And what Jesus tells His disciples is, if, if your priority is to share greatness with me, you're going to end up losing in the end. Certain things are going to be eternal. Certain things are only temporary. What are you investing your life in? Where are your priorities? If you want to know what's my definition of a priority, uh, to me, a priority is something that you keep around you at all times. It's nearby. You can say it's not a priority all day, but if it's right there, if it has a place at your table and a room in your house, it's a priority. What are the priorities of your life? Are your priorities trivial and temporary? Or do your priorities match up to what Jesus says are really valuable? Because believe it or not, Jesus gives us, He sets the bar on what true treasure is and what true value is, not us. And a lot of us are going to spend our whole lives investing in something and we get to the end and found out we made a poor investment. You know, I love Jesus' words with His disciples. Oftentimes, Jesus' words to His disciples sound like threats. You know, He says, you know, it, cut off your hand if that's what's going to stop you from getting into hell. Who wants to go to hell with two hands when you can go to heaven with one hand? And we look at that and go, dang, Jesus is hardcore. All He's saying is don't let anything stop you from attaining the eternal. Don't let anything stupid stop you. And it sounds like a threat, but look at Jesus' word. He says, it would be better for you to go into heaven with no hands than to go into hell with two. All he's saying is, I'm just telling you from the, I've seen the end and it would be better. And how many times do we trade temporary things that are going away for things that are going to last forever? You know, the people around you, your family, your neighbors, your friends, souls are lasting forever. That's why Jesus told us to invest in others. So that's a sermon of a whole other topic, another time. But you want, you want to invest somewhere that's going to have true value? Jesus and others, because neither of those are going away. Um, your next one is worry. And I want you to keep reading with me Matthew chapter 6. Now we're going to start in 20, verse 25, same passage. And as I read this, Jesus was about to send his disciples out on their first missionary journey which means he was about to send them out door to door doing Jesus stuff. Right before he sent them out, he said this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet the heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? That's a rhetorical question, by the way, you are just FYI. He wasn't asking. So, Dan, you're more, you're more valuable than a bird, okay? Can any one of you, by worrying, at a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See the flowers of the field, 
They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Is that, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. I'm going to read that again. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. See, the next thing that we get distracted with often is worry. Worry steals away our focus. In your notes, when we fix our eyes on Jesus, we cling to the truth we know rather than the infinite unknown. Fixing our eyes on Jesus means we get to cling to the truth we know to be true rather than focusing on the infinite unknown. You know, there's a misconception with Christianity which says that if you follow Jesus, you suddenly get full clarity of the future. Like, you just know what's going to happen. I've been following the wrong Jesus if that's the case. You know, we were given the opportunity to trust Jesus, but trust doesn't mean clarity. And sometimes we say, God, I will trust you when you make my path totally transparent and clear. When you let me know what you're going to do in the future, then I'll trust you. Well, that's where worry comes from. And then we get bogged down with the unknown. And in this blank, when I wrote this, I actually wrote rather than the unknown, and I had to add in that infinite unknown. Because, you know, there is an, an immense, numberless possibility of things to worry about, isn't there? There is no limit to the things that you can stress out about that you don't know about, right? There is no limit. You could, you could worry about whatever you want because the future is unknown to us. And I love that Jesus didn't let us know what was going to happen next. Instead, he gives us the opportunity to trust him. One, one thing that jumped out to me this week is we just got done talking about prayer two weeks ago. And in prayer, you're, you're coming to God, asking him to do something, right? In prayer, you're rehearsing potential circumstances, you're saying, if this happens, God, or what if this happens? I'm going to hand this to you, God. In prayer, we aim at God taking us somewhere. And, and this week, I realized that worry is like the exact same as prayer, but in reverse. See, when we worry, instead of banking on God being able to do something, we're kind of banking on God's not ability to do something. That would say it. Sorry, English teachers. You're banking on God not being able to do something when you worry. When you worry... You're rehearsing circumstances in your brain, aren't you? Just like in prayer, you're saying, God, I'm trusting in your promises. I'm trusting in who you are. When we worry, we do the exact same but opposite. And we start to go, God, this could happen, and this could happen, and this could happen. And if that happened, there's also the sub part. That could happen too. And, and when we worry, we rehearse. It's praying in reverse. When we worry, we aim at taking it, we aim at going somewhere. See, with worry, we always pick on the worst thing that could possibly happen, and then we take our minds there. Moms, you know what I'm talking about. You do it every time your kids walk out the door. And we worry, and it's like praying in reverse. And, and you know, God was telling me this week, kind of showing me as we were preparing for this, that, that 
when you flip that back around into prayer, you turn your worry back into worship, what it was supposed to be. When you flip that back around, because worry distracts us. Worry takes our focus off of Jesus and puts it on us. Uh, a great book we used to sell, I don't know if it's still in the bookstore, but it was by a man named Louis Giglio called I Am Not, But I Know I Am. And the whole purpose of it is recognizing that we are not God, He's God, and we're supposed to let Him be God. But he has this phrase in this book that I think is fantastic. I use it all the time. He says that the human frame was not designed to carry the weight of the world. It wasn't designed. So if you're crashing under the weight of worry and anxiety, it's because you're carrying a weight that wasn't designed for you. That's why when you buy a trailer, they first ask you what kind of vehicle you drive. Why? Just because you have the trailer doesn't mean your, your, your Ford Tempo is going to suddenly be able to pull it. It's not built for it. It's too big. And, and worry comes because we try and carry a weight that was never designed for us, and then we wonder why it's crushing us. And we say, God, make me stronger. And He says, no, get the weight off. That's for me to carry. God, please make me stronger. No, you're not supposed to carry that stuff. And when we worry, we're packing on things that we weren't designed to carry. And it distracts us from focusing on Jesus. C.S. Lewis has this quote. He said, put first things first, and then we get the second things thrown in. But if you put the second things first, we lose both the first and the second things. That's why Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all those things you're worried about. Guess what's going to happen? He's going to throw them in. You don't have to worry about those things, because the one who created you and designed you and knows you, he knows what you need, and he's going to throw it in if you just trust in him. That's why we're focusing, we're fixing our eyes on Jesus. I'll take care of all the other stuff, Jesus said. Everything else you need, I'll take care of it. And like I said, he said this right before sending his disciples on a little journey. And when he sent them on the journey, he said, don't take extra clothes, don't take money, wear shoes because you're going to do a lot of walking because you're going to go door to door. Well, naturally, the disciples are going to go, but where are we going to eat? What happens if I tear my clothes? What am I going to wear? And he says, ha ha, I already covered it. Just... Complete the mission and watch other people. Watch me provide. But until you get yourself put in that position where you have to worry or trust, you're not going to know that I can provide. And then the last one. You don't have to turn to this passage, but I'm going to read from Matthew chapter um, 14. Our last thing that distracts us is fear. And fear and worry are really good friends. I don't know if you know that. They were roommates in college. They stay in touch. Fear and worry often go hand in hand. And in Matthew chapter 14, we read this story that if, if you've been at Mountain View, you've heard this story a hundred times, and that's fantastic because we love it. It's a story of Peter and Jesus. And the disciples and Peter were in this boat. Jesus is up on a mountain praying. The disciples are, are sailing to the other side, and this huge storm picks up. Big waves, big storm. And then Jesus decides, I'm just going to go ahead and walk to the other side. That should stand out to you. Uh, that's not normal. And he decides he's going to walk along the other side. And then as he's walking on the water, the disciples see Jesus and they go, oh no, it's a ghost. We're scared because you're supposed to be scared when you see ghosts. FYI. They said, it's a ghost. We're scared. And Jesus said, don't be scared. It's just me. And Peter said, wait a minute. If it's you, tell me to come out on the water. And Jesus said, Come. And so Peter gets out, and he steps on water, which should stand out to you. That's supernatural. That doesn't happen very often. And he walks on water. 
And as he's walking on water, he starts to recognize the waves all around him, and he starts to sink. And then Jesus reaches out and grabs him and says, you have little faith. See, here's the deal with fear. In your notes, when we fix our eyes on Jesus, we live per God's ability rather than our own limitations. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, we live per God's ability rather than our own limitations. See, there is a place for fear in our lives. Fear exists where faith doesn't. Fear exists where faith doesn't. And the reason that we get scared is because sometimes in life we face obstacles that are bigger than us. It could be a doctor's visit where you got really bad news. You're facing an obstacle that's bigger than you. It could be like overwhelming debt. When we first started Mountain View Fellowship, we started it right after the economy crashed. And it was the dumbest time to plant a church. Everyone was broke, for the record. And we're like, we'll plant a church. See, when you have overwhelming debt, there's a reason to be scared. See, fear exists because something in opposition to you is bigger than you. It's not rocket science. And, and, and fear is a natural response when something's bigger than you. When something is, more, is greater than you is coming against you to harm you, you should be scared. If you're not scared, you're delusional. Does that make sense? Sometimes we, 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 I think we have too many um, like life coaches where they're like, don't be scared. And I'm like, okay, but you got to give me a reason not to be scared. <laughs> you left me empty-handed and said, don't be scared. There's a bear running at me. I'm scared. Give me something. See, Jesus gave Christians, followers of God, were the only ones given permission to have no fear. And that's why that command, fear not, is the, the most repeated command in the Bible. Because we're given permission to not fear, but it's not because just generally you don't have to fear. The only time you can choose to not fear is when somebody on your side is greater than the person coming against you. Jesus said, I'm greater than any opposition that could ever harm you, which means you could, you have the opportunity to trust in me and not have fear. But if you trust in yourself, you should be scared. And I want you to grasp that. If you're trusting in your own strength and what you can do with your mind, if what you can do with your own strength, if what you can do with the, the, the labor of your body, if, if that's what you're trusting in, there are many situations in life when you should be scared. Do you agree? Because you're not strong enough. Don't fall into the lie that you can do it, you're strong. No, that would, you'll never find that in Scripture. Jesus never said, hey guys, if this whole God thing doesn't work out, you can do it. I believe in you, pal didn't happen. <laughs> we are not strong enough. God is strong enough. And when we fear, oftentimes fear is just God getting our attention. He's saying, pay attention. If you've been distracted by fear, pay attention. I'm trying to show you something. If you're scared, don't ignore it. That's called delusion. Embrace it and say, what is coming against me that's bigger than Jesus? Sounds And then start to say, is God bigger than that? If he's not, get on your knees. Get on your knees. Start experiencing a bigger God. If he's not big enough, get on your knees. If you're scared, don't ignore it. Embrace it and say, God, what's coming against me that has distracted me into fear? Something is bigger than you in my life. The disciples, go read through the gospels. The disciples, every other page faced something that caused fear. And it was Jesus getting their attention that something's happening you are facing an obstacle that you think is bigger than me. And Jesus said, nothing's bigger than me, but until you believe that, you should be scared. 
there's a bear coming at you. You should be scared. You should run, actually. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, we have the opportunity to trust in God's ability, not our own limitations. You know, the Great Commission, the Great Commission, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them, and it ends with, and hey, I'm going to be with you always. Do you know why it ends with that? Because the Great Commission is impossible in our strength. Impossible. I'm a big believer that following Jesus is impossible in our own strength. I don't think it's possible. That's why so many of us find burnout and, and, and we're, we're, we're struggling is because we haven't followed Jesus yet. We're still trying to do this Christian thing in our own strength. And from the very get-go, it was never meant to be that way. He has called us to an impossible mission. But guess what? It's not impossible for Him if we learn to trust in Him. Fear exists where faith doesn't. If God is getting your attention because something in your life is distracting you into fear, don't ignore it. Don't try and positive word your way out of it. Embrace it and say, what is God getting my attention with? Is it debt? Am I distracted because of a fear of overwhelming debt? God's bigger than your debt. Is it health? Are you so overwhelmed because of a health issue that you were just, you were distracted by fear to the point where it, it, just, it just paralyzes you? You might not believe it yet, but God is bigger than a doctor's note. God is bigger than our bodies. If it's a relationship, if you have fear because of a relationship and you just feel like you are totally paralyzed, pay attention. God's showing you something. And God's bigger than that relationship. I love that we get to follow a God who's bigger than what I can do. Every other religion in the world, every other religion in the world says, do your best, and one day when you get to heaven, God's going to say, did they do their best? We'll weigh it out. Christianity is the only faith where he said, if you want to follow me, you have to deny all that stuff and trust in me. Because you can't do this on your own. You can't. That's why we get distracted by fear. That's why the enemy distracts us with fear. And I love that God buys that fear back and says, I have a purpose for this fear. This fear is going to prove to you that I'm bigger. I'm going to close with this. Um, in, I, I've often heard people talk about when Moses and the Israelites were on the edge of the Red Sea and they were standing at the edge of the Red Sea, and the, and the Egyptians were coming behind them, and they were running at them. And they were either going to enslave them or kill them. Neither one of them were good scenarios. And so they looked at Moses. We're talking like a million people looked at Moses and said, what are we going to do? And Moses said, God? And God told him to put his staff down in the water, and he put his staff down in the water, and the seas went up. We don't even know what that looks like. They just weren't there, and then they were walking on dry land. And I've heard people say, man, how cool would it have been to see that? And I always think to myself, well, it would, it would have been cool to see it after God showed up. It's a whole different scenario when you were the one standing on the edge of the sea with an army chasing you. But that's when we get to see God show up. That's, it's, it's those who are standing on the edge of the sea and say, I have no idea what's going to happen. I have death running behind me. I've got death in front of me. I have no idea what's going to happen, but I'm going to trust in you, God. It's only then that we get to see God do something supernatural, something huge, something that changes our life forever. And it's because we don't ignore the fear. 
It's because we don't ignore the circumstances. It's because we don't ignore what God's showing us and we embrace it. Say, God, I've been distracted by fear. Today, I'm going to hand that fear to you. We're going to put a slide up right here. These are some questions from your book of some, some ways to think about it this week. And as the worship team makes their way up here, I would encourage you to, if you don't have one of these books, go out in the lobby and buy one. Um, but take a look at these, these questions and start to weigh out the single-mindedness in your own life. If distraction, worry, and fear have been pulling your eyes away from Jesus, pay attention. If you are hearing this today, it's not too late to fix your eyes on Jesus. It's not too late. If you're hearing this today and God's got your attention, it's not too late. Today's the day you say, I'm not going to let fear, worry, or just the distractions of the world steal away what God has for me. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you that you didn't hand us a mission and then tell us to get it done in our own strength. In the midst of probably the most distracted culture in human existence, you still have given us the opportunity to focus on you. Lord, I pray that each one of us would be challenged to fix our eyes on you. When we wake up in the morning, to fix our eyes on you. When you get our attention with fear and anxiety and worry, to fix our eyes on you. When we face obstacles that are too big for us, Lord, I pray we would fix our eyes on you. Lord, I pray that your supernatural strength would no longer be theory or a concept or an idea, but it would be a reality in our lives because we fixed our eyes on you. Lord, we love you and we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, church, we're going to go ahead and worship Jesus some more, so if you please rise, we're going to go ahead and sing to him. Mm-hmm.